that regarding this topic would be. Uh, so do you say that on the hardware side there is less innovation needed for weather than on the software side? No, no, absolutely no? not. That's, that's basically tomorrow's Sad. yeah, that's that's basically tomorrow's innovation. You know, it's it's crazy when I learned that there is only one radar in space today. If you deep dive into the topic a little bit more, we are not tracking rainfall data properly at all. So in the US, I think about 20 states are making decisions on infrastructure based on rainfall records from 25 years ago because there's no radar. Welcome to the New Space Vision podcast, where we discuss new space technology, finance and innovation with executive founders and more exciting people from the startup and new space ecosystem. I'm Sven Shivara. And I'm Daniel Seidel. And together we are the founders of the Earth Observation Company, LiveVio and New Space Vision. Today we are very excited to welcome Aravind Ravishandran. He's the founder and industry expert at TerraWatch. I will start with a very big question. Aravind, are you a space influencer? I don't think so. I don't like the title. I would rather be a communicator, evangelist, you know, something more meaningful than influencer, because I feel like influencer is a, is a superficial term and it's usually associated with, uh, you know, Instagram and less technology, more <laughs> visual stuff. So yeah. maybe evangelist. Evangelist, I think, is, a, is quite a good name. Yeah. So you are in the space evangelist and we can ba basically second that, right? So you have a big impact on the industry. Um, even investors, when they come to Sven and me, sometimes say, hey, uh, yeah, we have heard about you from uh, Aravind's TerraWatch podcast, which is pretty cool. But maybe do you want to tell us who you are and what you're doing? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's hard to put it in simple words because I've been thinking about how to introduce myself for, for a while because I do quite a few things wearing uh, different hats. But um, yeah, I'm the founder of TerraWatch Space, which is um, an advisory and communications firm. So essentially, I wear the hats of a consultant. So I work on consulting projects uh, with Earth observation companies, uh, companies trying to use Earth, uh, integrate Earth observation into their process. So companies from any sector uh, on their strategy, uh, also with space agencies on consulting work. But I also wear the hat of uh, an analyst when I'm writing, you know, deep dives and thought pieces and just you know tracking the news of what's going on. When I started with uh, the industry, it was more in space. You know, in the last three, four years, it's been more in Earth observation. Uh, and then there's the podcasting hat as well, where I host the TerraWatch Space uh, podcast. Um, and, you know, if you want to also include the evangelize, evangelist hat as well, where, you know, I share things on social media for, you know, educating people about specifically about Earth observation and, you know, the use of satellite data. So wearing a lot of hats. I don't know how to call myself in one word. <laughs> That's why my LinkedIn profile looks a little crazy because yeah, I don't know how to call myself. Yeah. So um, basically, uh, you started as a software developer, right? And in uh, 2012, uh, but you found a terror space in 2020. So um, how did you come into the space industry? Uh, well, it was almost by accident because I used to live in Berlin, um, where I am right now. And uh, I used to work in software. So I used to be, I started as a software engineer uh, at Amazon when I was in India. And when I moved to Europe, I continued, you know, working in the software industry. And, you know, I was working for a startup in Berlin. And I've been interested in working on impactful things. And I felt like when I was in the software industry, the, I didn't feel a lot of impact. And I was looking for somewhere to work on impact. 
uh, and a few things happened. I watched a few space movies and I started reading a few space related books in a Berlin cafe. And I met someone who, you know, was probably apparently a space uh, expert who was doing a PhD in a uh, university in Berlin. And we started chatting and he said, oh, you seem to be interested in space and, you know, you should uh, probably consider it, uh, you know, getting into it. And I was like, what can I do? I'm a software engineer. I have nothing to do with space. And uh, then he told me about a few options that exist for folks who can get in and what kind of things they can do. And one of them happened to be studying at the International Space University, which was um, where, you know, a lot of non-experts go to to get a foundation of uh, understanding of space. And, and yeah, that's uh, that's kind of how I got in. And, um, and yeah, and then, you know, it's been a journey discovering how the space industry is, how it works, uh, and then, you know, obviously focusing on Earth observation. Uh, so, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. Six years. And so the so the International Space University is definitely also um, maybe an institution which we should have on the podcast because I have the feeling that uh, a lot of influential people from the space industry have been going to the international space industry. So you've worked at uh, PwC mm -hmm. as a, as a consultant focused on the space industry. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So working with uh, space agencies with large companies with, um, you know, with investment groups, etc. So, you know, strategy consulting work, but very much focused on space. Yeah. Yeah. Can you uh, tell us a bit about uh, your your customer base? Like who is who is going to you to to get uh, consultancy about Earth observation? Um, yeah. So, so today with TerraWatch, there are essentially, like I mentioned, two, let's say, units of TerraWatch. One is intentional which was the consulting unit um so with the consulting work um as i mentioned it's you know sometimes space agencies so working on very specific uh strategic questions of you know what uh you know future of a specific program or an initiative or provide an independent assessment of you know where the initiative is and where it can go so that's with space agencies uh with earth observation companies uh sometimes um you know either working them there are a startup that's more on their fundraising phase, you know, working on market analysis, sizing, uh, etc. But also, you know, if they're scaling on their go-to-market, uh, new markets, um, you know, new yeah, go-to-market strategies. Uh, and then more recently started working a lot with uh, um, what I call the users of Earth observation data. So on, you know, companies that have nothing to do with Earth observation, but that are essentially customers of Earth observation. So, you know, they are becoming interested in understanding you know, how they can start thinking about the technology, how they can adopt it. So that's more the satellite data adoption strategy phase. That's the consulting part. And then what was unintentional, but somehow it is also growing, is more the communication side. Apparently, there's a lot of need for content and communication um, in the in the industry uh, and education of the market. So, you know, that was not intentional when I created TerraWatch, but then because my blog and my podcast already exists so i have a community that's already built um, essentially there's also a small uh, marketing unit uh, for the for the company as well but that's more of a afterthought yeah so is it like a pull from the market you you see there for this content yeah well for for both my consulting and the content work most of my work is uh, sorry most of my clients are inbound so mm -hmm. you know i'm thankful to be in a situation where it's it's like that where you know i have my days full and I have a few freelancers I work with for both the consulting side and the and the content side. Uh, yeah, it's been 
it's been interesting. There's a lot of pull. Uh, obviously, you know, as you know, uh, you've had people on the podcast who know that the space industry is growing. We're launching a lot of satellites, collecting a lot of data, and the data is also relevant. So, you know, both companies need it, but also, you know, I forgot to mention investors. You know, I do some due diligence. You know, obviously, investors are getting interested. Um, and of course, the end users are also interested in the market. So, you know, it's a you know, it's not surprising that there is a pool because the industry is growing so fast, right? Yeah. Every yeah. company is, again, there's so many companies getting founded. So yeah, yeah. We, we've also seen it with our events. There were no uh, meetups uh, back then, right? Five years ago about space. Now more and more is coming, but there's still still a lot of demand. So basically, to, to, to summarize, uh, you came from consultancy of mainly like agencies. Then you went to commercial uh, Earth observation companies, and now you're going more to the user side, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think is the the the, the most impactful um, uh, area where where you can basically create the most impact? Well, it's basically exactly that. You know, sitting in the intersection of the you know, if you put a Venn diagram of you know the industry, which is Earth observation companies, uh, investors, and the end users, sitting in the midst of that, and you know, essentially trying to drive you know the the strategy of the market where the market can go uh, because you know obviously from where i'm sitting i don't have a preference you know i'm i'm independent you know i'm not going to be specific to a technology or a data provider or a country um, you know it, i'm there for essentially what i call the growth of the industry and adoption of uh, satellite data so that's why you know the the vision that i put for terawatch is to make uh, satellite data mainstream And, um, you know, that can happen only if we work with all the three areas, you know, funding needs to go into the right direction and investors need to guide the growth of the industry in the right way. And, you know, space agencies have a role to play there. And we should do that, not forgetting what the end users want, because if we just, you know, keep doing it with each other and not interact with the end users, you can't really do anything. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so to summarize it, you really have a great overview over the entire ecosystem. And what maybe you could just give the, the audience who maybe are not coming from the Earth observation space an overview over what are the specific market segments you see where Earth observation and satellite data already plays an important role or will in the future play a very important role? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Earth observation has application across sectors. So, you know, you can basically, you know, call a sector and ask what is the relevance. Maybe I can, you know, wearing my consultant hat, rate it very high, high, not very high <laughs> kind of a basis. But uh, well, I guess the opportunities are, it's not going to be surprising. Um, one is definitely in the, I think I'm, I don't want to call it the climate umbrella, but then everything under, under the climate umbrella, let's say the new climate umbrella, not uh, traditional climate monitoring, you know, scientific models, but more like, uh, you know, carbon uh, markets, um, verification um, and the, the carbon credits and climate risk uh, monitoring. So everything that's coming up new, obviously because of uh, climate change and the regulatory need to start reporting and monitoring uh, assets. So, you know, the climate risk part. Uh, so climate is one umbrella. Um, and then of course, uh, insurance, which are, you can argue is also part of uh, climate. Uh, is, is again, a def uh, different sort of an industry, which has been very old school in the way how they do things. But now we have a new technology that can help this industry. So, you know, of course, insurance is going to play a new part. You know, you have uh, companies that are creating new parametric insurance models, which didn't exist before. And now because of satellite data and the scalability it offers, now they can create insurance models that can, you know, scale for uh, the world. And 
And the third one is, I guess it's more relevant for you and which I think is a very dark horse for um, the Earth observation market is infrastructure monitoring. I think I touched on it when I talked about climate, but every company that has any sort of infrastructure, any asset in the world would want to monitor it either for, you know, monitoring it better um, against risks uh, that can, you know, that can affect the company or to make their operations more efficient. You know, it can be exactly what you guys are doing, right? Um, you know, uh, helping companies to monitor, sorry, uh, you know, take care of their assets. And uh, and yeah, I mean, infrastructure is, you know, we can talk about it in length. I think you, your <laughs> website will probably talk about it. You, you just what, did our pitch, by the way. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, it's 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 a market that doesn't get a lot of, let's say, love because it's usually agriculture, um, defense, of course, you know, yeah. those have been the two traditional industries. But I think that the new, you know, upcoming climate markets and insurance and infrastructure are probably the three big markets that I'm seeing. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. So I think like this is very much on the on the let's say the end user layer, right? Mm -hmm. You're always like writing in your in your posts and in your articles also that, and we absolutely agree with that. That the Earth observation ecosystem and the entire new space ecosystem has to has to be more user centric and think about what does the end user really want and not coming with the technology first. Mm -hmm. Still, um, your latest article has been more about uh, general field of analysis or yeah a tech stack you could say um and it circled around the topic of weather and you also worked for a year at um, tomorrow io which is a big yeah new space player in the in the weather field why do you think weather is such an important topic which i think uh, sure. to quote you here is also highly underrepresented it's in the in the public eye yeah well uh, one is obviously because you know we don't we just forget about how weather works because it's there in our, you know, in our watch to our phone everywhere. So we always assume it's a solved problem. But then what is not solved? Well, from a weather reporting standpoint, it's already not solved because, you know, a lot of the world does not have access to weather information that the way we have today. So, you know, when we see news about uh, casualties due to weather events, it's usually, you know, three digit, four digit in developing world versus one digit, two digit in a developed world. You know, it's not, yeah. you know, it's not a coincidence. It's because, uh, you know, reporting is not there properly in those in those uh, countries. So, you know, there's a lot of um, observational gaps to fill for which, of course, space has a role to play because 90 percent of data for weather forecasting today come from satellites, which means that a lot of the world is not covered um, as efficiently as it can be. So there's a lot of, you know, gaps to fill in the industry. And we can talk about you know, weather in a lot, but, you know, that's why I wrote the deep dive. Yeah. So, you know, people are interested can read it. But then what's also more interesting is to operationalize weather. I think there's a gap and I think that's the gap tomorrow is trying to fill is it's not just about there's going to be winds from the northeast at 100 kilometers per hour. You know, anybody can have that, especially if you're on the developed world. You have an API to give it. But then companies need to translate it into action. You know, yeah. they have that information, but they don't know what that means. Can that affect their asset? You know, if you're an, aer uh, you're an aircraft carrier, do you need to have extra ground crew for the next five days because you need to de-ice your planes? You know, those are all like very almost boring questions yeah. that are that have been done in a very um, yeah, in a very inefficient way where people have to pick up the phone and call a meteorologist to understand. Yeah. So it's a very, you know, it's not related to the space industry at all, but it's a very downstream part. But then it's, it's very relevant today because if you are an asset manager, any kind of asset, you want to know if this risk exists or not. 
uh, and you want to you know reduce the amount of damage that you can because obviously you can't aim for I can protect against everything because yeah. you know it's nature mm-hmm. and you can't predict everything but you can be prepared uh, you know you can have and you can reduce you know we, we saw with recent hurricanes and you know, it's yeah. only going to get worse that uh, you know things can be better protected in terms of properties but also lives can be saved so yeah weather is again we can <laughs> discuss in detail yeah. about weather for assets weather for people uh, you know where the space industry can play a role and the dynamics of the weather market which is you know yeah. is its yeah. own different thing but i think like uh, the point you're making is is absolutely right that exactly although weather is the kind of remote sensing uh, field which is most impactful and right now most used by most mm-hmm. people it is still very much a field of development and, and future yeah. progress and anyone who's more interested in this topic um, can read exactly Aravind's article about yeah wh- one thing mm-hmm. that I want to add is that it's almost viewed as a separate domain which I have started to you know ever since I started looking into this about a year and a half ago I cannot help but see the similarities with what we have in remote sensing world yeah. is they have figured out a lot of things but somehow it's just a different domain so I don't know we don't talk to each other you know weather data is shared globally from every country in the world um, you know it's shared Yeah. which means that they have figured out things like formats, standards, interoperability, which is a big problem in yeah, our observation absolutely. today. You can't yeah. put yeah. one sensor data over other sensor. How did they figure out in weather? You know, how did it work out? We can learn some best practices. That's We talk one. about analysis-ready data in Earth observation a lot. Yeah. So I would argue that if you have an API for getting temperature, that is analysis-ready data. Yeah. And that's what we are trying to go in Earth observation. It's you know, vegetation index is an analysis ready data because it's not it's not insight. It's it's something that can be used for, you know, doing something. Same with temperature, right? Like temperature is okay, you can learn something from temperature, but then if a company needs to use temperature or wind for their uh, use cases, they need to create that insight. So there are a lot of parallels that I see that probably needs to be explored and you know also from a data policy standpoint you know we talk a lot about should uh, you know earth observation companies uh, open source their data you know get their archives away um, yeah. you know whether data around the world is free so there's a you know data policy side as well there's a lot of parallels so i feel like there's a lot to be explored and it's been under uh, exploited so that's uh, very interesting so basically you said the weather industry is more advanced than the um, traditional earth observation industry with all the standards we use it in our daily lives it's for free so my my question would be um uh, like you mentioned the uh, the terror um uh, uh, um so, so basically the business case of, of doing very vertically integrated ap- applications, right? So um, like t- tomorrow I always doing. And um, my question would be now, what can be the inno- in- in innovation driver beside this very vertical applications if the data is for free? Uh, like what kind of fields um, you, you see should be more explored in, in weather data? Well, of course, you know, the, 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 the difference with weather is, you know, like weather needs to be operationalized, contextualized. Um, you know, when, when companies are reporting how their risk is for the next, you know, quarter, you know, that is going to, they're going to take weather data into input. So, you know, there's a lot of downstream innovation that's needed, like what you can do with the weather data part. But also, I think innovation on, yeah, on, you know, what, uh, you know, how the data is integrated with existing data. So take an example of, uh, you know, a customer trying to monitor their asset or 
you know, trying to see what they're, uh, what's happening to their asset. The, the innovation needs to be a fusion of both imagery and weather data, because if you're giving them a solution saying, uh, we can monitor your asset, whatever your asset is, and you can get, you know, pictures of, uh, you know, real time, low latency, you can get the image, high resolution image, great. But then if that same software is not telling them that there is a flood that's coming in two days, you know, the customer almost feels cheated because you yeah. we promised them a monitoring solution that can take away all the risks uh, for them so that, you know, they don't have to worry about it. And we can send an alert if there's something happening and if there is no weather component to it. So it's more, I think the innovation lies in how can we kind of use the data that's available today and that we're going to get com in combination with what we already have. Um, so, you yeah. know, that's just one example that comes to mind, but I'm sure there are more. And I mean, also we at LiveView are exploring weather data sets more and more uh, because, you know, we, we do vegetation management for utilities and we do risk models uh, uh, also for storms. And of course, weather data plays a role there. But then um, maybe the last question for my side regarding this topic would be, uh, so do you say that on the hardware side, there is less innovation needed for weather than on the software side? No, no, absolutely no? not. That's, that's basically tomorrow's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically tomorrow's innovation. You know, it's, it's crazy when I learned that there is only one radar in space today, uh, for, uh, tracking precipitation. So to track rainfall. And if you deep dive into the topic a little bit more, we are not tracking rainfall data properly at all. So in the U S. I think I, I forgot the exact number, but I think about 20 states are making decisions on infrastructure, on where to build new infrastructure based on rainfall records from 25 years ago, hmm. because, you know, you, 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 they're not collecting or maintaining um, rainfall records properly. And that's in the US. You know, if you want to build a new infrastructure in a developing world, there's no radar. So, you know, there are the ways of tracking rainfall and how much rainfall has fallen over a place is you do it from a radar, a ground radar or a weather radar from space and the weather radar. We have only one from NASA. So rainfall is now tracked in different parts of the world with, uh, you know, rain gauges um, or, you know, small weather stations, which obviously does not exist in the developing world. So from a hardware standpoint, the innovation lies in how can we, you know, scalably collect, uh, you know, data about these variables in a way that can be used for operational use. Right. So we talked about, you know, the use of weather data for I don't know, in, in different industries, like we're talking about energy transition. So how are we going to do an energy transition on a global level for solar or, you know, wind yeah. uh, data or hydro uh, uh, sources without really having weather data? So, yeah. you know, the innovation is also on the hardware side, like how can we collect more data everywhere in the world? Because we need global transition everywhere, green transition everywhere, but also on the downstream side, like, okay, we have this you know, data, global wind profile data, but how can we translate it into a use that can be used by energy companies, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so there's a lot of, you know, things to be explored. And the beauty is there's a lot of, I think, intersection with imagery, because there are a lot of imaging companies working on, you know, using either thermal infrared data or high resolution optical data for, you know, solar um, uh, energy or solar farms. Uh, you know, monitoring solar farms uh, either as assets or for, you know, producing solar forecasts. But then you can combine that, with, of course, with weather data. So I think the problem is we are thinking of that as two domains. I think that's probably the last thing I'll say is it's it, from a scientific standpoint, they are the same. It's yeah. remote sensing. It's still an active sensor, a passive sensor. It's probably, you know, 
one is probably monitoring the land and one is probably monitoring the atmosphere. So, yeah. you know, that that's the difference. Yeah. But fundamentally, they're, they're the same thing. So if scientifically they are the same, why should we differentiate it? And yeah. even in a demand standpoint, you know, I gave a few examples, is the same. So why do we need to differentiate it? Yeah. That's why. So taking uh, some lessons from the weather playbook, but also the weather uh, ecosystem has to, has to still improve. And just to share one, uh, one story from our daily doing, uh, we talked to weather company, to one of the leading companies in the weather space about integration of their weather insights into our product and what they've told us. This podcast is sponsored by LiveView. LiveView's mission is to unlock the full potential of Earth observation data for humanity and life on Earth through AI. We are the global market leader in infrastructure monitoring and are bringing the power of satellite data analytics to other industries globally. Talk to us to find out how satellite data can benefit you and your company via podcast at live-eo.com. And what they've told us, yeah, so we have this weather data. This weather data is coming from public sources. But our value is at is that we have a meteorologist, which you can call at any time, and they will tell you what you're looking at. Yeah. And I thought it's, wow, good. Well, that doesn't really fit well with our software-first approach. Yeah. But it's anyway, not software-first approach. It's people-first there. Yeah, exactly. And, still very and I found this very surprising because, exactly, I always interact with weather data digitally, right? I never, like thought that there's still something like a human, but like in an enterprise context, there's always a human still looking at the data. But there's so many topics which we want to cover. So uh, let's go to Earth observation data um, or like the classical Earth observation yeah. image data sets back uh, which we, where we started. Um, you have some key hypotheses about the market, such as, for example, uh, nationalization of, of Earth observation, right? Could you just maybe um, give us a brief overview over some of the key hypotheses and maybe a sentence each what they are about. Sure. Uh, so by you mean so starting with so nationalization. For example, that would be one of the, the examples. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Well, I have a fair few and I think it will evolve <laughs> over time. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, let's start with nationalization, right? So, of course, I think we cannot view Earth observation well. You know, when I started in Earth observation, my thesis was it's a type of data that happens to come from space that we build software with. You know, that's been my thesis so far. But then, you know, as I got into the sector and got to know more about it, I feel like it's, you know, we oversimplified it. So nationalization is because it's a strategic asset, country would want to own it and generate their data. And if they're using for policy monitoring, some countries, not all of them, because not all of them can afford it, but, you know, they're going to try. They're going to try to see what space technology they can take advantage of, like space uh, as a service model. You know, they are, they are coming and saying you can launch satellites uh, or, you know, the ISI model, which is you can buy a satellite, which is which is great because if you're a country that is seriously, you know, having a space strategy, now you can now and buy a satellite uh, that's available in 18 months, I think, and you can just launch it. So which is yeah. great because your execution is the cost of one satellite. So, you know, the country's local downstream strategy is going to be to force the use of their satellite data. So yeah. so that's one thing I think that's not talked about a lot, but I think we need to acknowledge it because, you know, space is a strategic domain. Um, and then going into the market, well, I think 
I wrote about verticalization, which is about you know com- companies focusing on a specific market, like LiveView focuses on infrastructure, and you decided to do it. But then even from a hardware side, like you take the example of Constellar, they are focusing on agriculture. You know, infrared can be used for ten different use cases, but they want to focus on water monitoring. Maybe they will expand, but then b- focusing on that use case allows them to you know build a company around it. So. They can probably build an end-user product end-to-end uh, from data generation to insights. So verticalization, um, which I think will work for some markets because some markets you cannot sell uh, data because either they are not even digitally transformed. So you need to sell them uh, an actual end-to-end solution that, you know, for some use cases, uh, verticalization is a thing. What else? I've started the... Um, you know, acknowledging that, um, you know, companies need to start adopting satellite data, but then they will have different ways of doing it. You know, some companies will have a data strategy, some companies will have a product strategy, and uh, some companies will have a mix of both. And I feel like some companies will, you know, surprise the market by even pursuing a space strategy, meaning they want to launch their own satellite constellation. Well, tomorrow when Satsure and I think, um, who was the other one? EOS, um, I'm missing a fourth one. They were like the first ones, but they are coming kind of from the industry to say, we want to launch our own satellites, but we won't be surprised that if if a large company, and I think we had a RFP from John Deere, which was again in the IoT segment, but I think it will not be far off when they start including EO into their uh, RFP uh, or into their plans. So, you know, a lot of those companies will have different ways of adopting this technology that, yeah, obviously we're going to be surprised because we are not ready for it. Yeah. So, so basically you say um, analytical companies in the future may also own satellites, contract satellites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... well, maybe they will start realizing and they will launch after because like such, sure. And, but I think Satyore is launching for different reasons, but one of them being price and, you know, the other being they are from India and, you know, they need to have a high revisit, which is probably not available today in the in the price that they want. So, yeah, it can be an analytic company, but then it can be a company that is not doing anything close to space. You know, they are, you know, they are a market leader in a specific vertical and they have not used remote sensing data before. And then they figured out that now they can launch their own satellite build their product and use that as part of their uh, strategy to to expand into new markets because they are the domain expert you know if, yeah. let's say your insurance or if you're i don't know forestry whoever the or energy whatever market you're in you know now you can now you know build a let's say asset monitoring solution or an insurance parametric insurance solution you know take the insurance companies as an example i don't know what is limiting them today from doing it Right, like either they can acquire an existing situation company, like you know we've already seen strategic investments from insurance company into ISI, uh, and you know what's stopping insurance companies from you know kind of thinking of this as a new business unit, even yeah. which yeah. is not you know which they can make a case because you know of course it's satellites and space which is not closely related to insurance, but they can make a case because the you know, the data makes sense. Yeah. So basically, um, uh, what I think, uh, like in the next minutes in the podcast, uh, like we will we will go dive deeper into um, are the three uh, topics you just mentioned. So the first one is basically verticalization on specific use cases. Um, the second one would be uh, like uh, ownership, or like, do you want to launch your own hardware or software? 
And the third one basically would be um, mainly also because you work together with so many um, companies who were not in Earth observation. What should the companies basically do? Should they build their own software or even hardware just for their use cases, right? For example, insurance company A, should they launch their own own satellite? So maybe let's dive into, into these uh, three uh, key topics. And um, because we were just talking about uh, the in-house satellites, um, let's start with that one. And what is the promise of um, Satsurance, for example, to launch their own satellites? Like, is there any secret um, uh, access or any specific data set they think they will get, which they can't get on the market? I think it's a lot more strategic. That's it. It's. Uh, I think it. That they can raise more money. Yeah, potentially because they're also promising a new market opportunity to their shareholders, which did not exist before. But then, you know, we don't have to assume that as them launching a new satellite, but it can be very well, uh, you know, an M&A with an existing player who is, let's face it, some of them are, you know, struggling with their go to market, right? Because they are not sure if this is the right market, if this is the right go to market strategy. So you know, if you have someone who's coming and either providing uh, a stake uh, investment, uh, you know, in exchange for a stake or, you know, proposing to have a deeper collaboration, why wouldn't you have it? And I think it's more, it can be a function of data gap, which, you know, for different companies, it's different. Um, you know, some companies might need, maybe they are in the developing world and they want very high resolution in the developing world. And today that data is not available. So, you know, they are making a choice of, you know, can we buy or can we wait for these companies to deliver in two years? Will they deliver to us or will it all only go to the premium customers, which they won't be because they don't mm-hmm. have that willingness to pay, not even like the DOD, but also like Western uh, large insurance companies. So if you're someone, you know, in, in, in another part of the world, which does not get a lot of, let's say, focus today um, in very high resolution, you might you might start to wonder, uh, you know, if, if that's a good strategy. I mean, maybe yeah, they won't make yeah. the decision, but that might cross their head because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a numbers game. So yeah. in five years' time, if they have uh, an asset under their control and let's say underused capacity that they can monetize uh, using uh, companies like Skywatch, we were just uh, talking before on you know Skywatch's model that allows any company to come in, you know. Uh, sell their data. The you know. CEO also has been on our podcast. <laughs> Recent episode, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. So, you know, the the market's now allowing them to do that. So, you know, why won't you consider it? At least to run the numbers. Yeah. You know, maybe they won't make the decision, but then I don't, I, I wouldn't think it's wrong to run the numbers because every company's use case is different. Mm. Need is different. Maybe their old business is actually kind of dying out. So in five years, 10 years, that business will die out. So if they're thinking about the future, but within the same domain and they see a company that is having a technology but is struggling with its go-to-market or not sure you know that's the classic earth observation problem have a solution don't know where the problem where the thing is where the problem is yeah you know it gives them an opportunity one thing which we are always um, looking at is obviously the price development of satellite data because exactly if you have the hypothesis that the overall market is efficient and that uh, prices will come down um, then uh, the arguments are piling up that you shouldn't build up your own constellation, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have this fixed cost base, sure. which you then have to also finance. So what are your views on the development of satellite data? Because you've mentioned that, yes, sure, um, if you're, for example, in, in a part of the world which is currently not being monitored that often, um, this this access and this revisit time is, is maybe a use case. But oftentimes what we are seeing is that 
um, the data from the different operators is so interchangeable. And as a company, you only in edge cases would build up a sensor which is significantly different from what's already out there, right? So uh, in this make or buy decision, most of the time price is really mm -hmm. the determining factor. So what are your views on price development of, let's say, high-resolution satellite data? Yeah, well, of course, the price is going to go down simply as a function of available supply because there's going to be so much supply that, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be surprising if the price doesn't go down given all the uh, companies that are, you know, attempting to launch. Let's see how many of them are, are successful and pull off the whole uh, constellation. So the price is going to go down. So when the companies... So maybe just like to follow up directly on this, because you're having a holistic view on the market and we share your perspective, by the way, but um, obviously there are the supply is growing, but demand is also growing, mm -hmm. right? So you think supply will outrun demand and through that supply will um, will, will become cheaper? Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's the hypothesis and that's happened in other markets before. And yeah. I don't know why we will be so special. I also think that from both for tasked imagery, but also for archived imagery that's been available for a while, yeah. it, it's, it's only going to be part, like, yeah, uh, you know, a few years, maybe a few months, depending on, you know, when the companies decide to do it, that they will start opening it up in, in some smart way. You know, it's either, I don't know, some from the last three years of every once a month uh, imagery or once a week imagery. So, you know, they'll start doing it. So not because, not because there's, you know, they, they want to, you know, they want to just be charitable, yeah. but they will just see that there's just so much demand and we can, you know, make use of that demand by, you know, having that data available so that they can come back to us for a task imagery. So, you know, it, 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 it it's a, you know, it, it, it's just normal that that's how the market will grow because the demand is there. Yeah. And, the, and the demand we know it's there well you know the go-to-market of that demand is a different question right like are you giving them analysis ready data or are you giving them images and asking them to figure out themselves so that's a that's a different question but then we know that the demand is there or will be there because of all the use cases so when we have so many satellites launching it's yeah it's it's, it's a no-brainer for me that that's how that's how you know, if you look at the iPhone, of course, the, if you look at iPhone as a very high resolution imagery equivalent, yeah. you had, you know, equivalents from other parts of the world, yeah. which kind of got to a higher market share, even though they were the second or the third or the fourth movers. And, you know, it, it's not just a question of, of course, their quality is not going to be low, but then some, for some people, it's okay. Yeah. And apparently for in the, more in the smartphone world, for a majority of the world, it's okay. That's why Samsung or uh, Huawei or Oppo or Vivo or whoever the company is, they are top compared to Apple. So yeah. the price differentiation is definitely a thing and I think it will have an impact and it will continue to go down. But it's not going to continue to go down to a point where it's going to be a marginal cost. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen because satellite imagery will have a value. It's still raw materials, yeah. right, which you have to do, uh, yeah, form into a product. But you had a follow-up question. I, I just learned something, I think. <laughs> uh, but I just just want to prove the hypothesis. What, what did you learn? I learned something. So basically, I mean, we're analyzing a lot of submeter data. We are tasking a lot of submeter data. But there is no, uh, like the archives are not really full today. But mm -hmm. now more and more companies launch uh, sensors. Um, the 30 centimeter sensors uh, make the 50 centimeter sensors cheaper. So there is a price reduction. Mm -hmm. There is also a price reduction on um, uh, like getting your own 
hardware, right? So if you want to uh, build your own submeter or satellite, it will be cheaper in the future because satellite as a service, sensors are standardized, etc. And then I just realized um, that at some point in time, is there actually a need for task data at like at all? Because I'm just imagining all the companies that task the submeter data uh, in, in, in the regions where there is high demand. But then, you know, if the data is there anyway, like, you know, why should you task it? So, and then we, we already we already see um, just this year companies such as Planet, they optimize their tasking a lot just by the data logistics. If multiple customers task over the same area, you would say you take one image mm -hmm. and distribute them to all, right? To be able to capture sure. more data. Yeah. That's not how they did this in the past, by the way, but they, they're learning this. So and the logistics get better and... Um, then you have a lot of capacity in orbit, but you have a lot of different companies. And let's say you get in Berlin, uh, you know, one image per week submeter. What do you do with the other capacity? You will basically do a geographic um, uh, yeah. um, expansion. Mm -hmm. You know, you try to reach customers where there is not a lot of tasking because you have capacity. And then the prices will go down even yeah. further for these areas. Yeah, I think like set of logic is exactly, exactly having this hypothesis, working yep. hypothesis, right? They want to build up a, a high resolution base map archive which is generally being being filled with data so obviously fingers crossed that it works out would be amazing for live here mm -hmm. what i was saying more is like you know like cross uh, company uh, archives yeah um, you know you need to be able to to like to analyze data of multiple uh, concessions because set logic they still will have a lot of lot of problems so sure i mean they, their... they don't only have a few satellites so what you're saying is that if i add up the high resolution archive of maxa planet isi um, um set logic and so forth their combined archive will for many use cases be completely sufficient and will replace exactly. the need for yeah. tasking and, and i think just one company like to achieve uh, weekly or monthly just monthly submeter archive globally yeah. it's just extremely challenging and in, in the spec deck from set logic for example you see they will reduce re increase the resolution by a lower orbit mm -hmm. but then they will also be able to cover way less so the swath of the images it's will really go down yep. and then the global coverage will go away again but that, that's another story we, we may need to talk to someone from set logic yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, exactly. So um, we've now jumped into the price discussion, uh, but I think like as we are also like approaching the end of our time, which we have with you, um, exactly one question which we would be really curious about is horizontal platform versus vertical. Yeah. So basically, what uh, what is your approach uh, on the? Let's focus now on the downstream. So the satellites are there. Either um, you have them or, or you you buy the data from from others. Like, what do you think um, right now is more needed in the market? What will be more um, successful in the next years? Will it be horizontal software platforms which enable other developers to build on top, or will it be the vertical um, focused companies? Solutions, you mean? Like yeah, yeah solutions. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's or a mix of both. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's probably going to be a mix of both simply because the platform, some platforms will, that's why one of the theses that we didn't talk about is there will probably be some verticalized platforms, I think, in the future because horizontal platforms that provide access to data and, you know, analysis-ready data for every market, every sector, it's not going to work. So yeah. there are some markets that are going to have a consumption strategy of they're going to build a, a remote sensing team or a data science team to you know process the data and build their own analytics because they don't trust the analytics that's available in the market or maybe the analytics is not available um, or uh, the, the analytics that is there. Yeah, they don't know what is the best. So because 
they already have a data science team mm. and there is going to be analysis ready data available through these platforms there's probably going to be some platforms that are going to be also focusing on a specific sector or you know use case that provides them that value so you know the, the what the companies do is you know take data from different sources and create the, the equivalent that I can think of now is, uh, um, you know, a more expanded version of a planetary variable from planet. Yeah. So they will have a soil moisture product, which will be very inclusive, which mm. is because they are, you know, in, in line with all the scientific advancements. You know, they are not just focused on, um, you know, data that is only contained. They can get data from anybody, from any sensor, but then they will have a soil moisture product and that will be the best in the market. And that will be consumed by a lot of companies who want to embark on this consumption strategy of we have a data science team, you know, we want to build our own thing. Yeah. We want to use the soil moisture. But then there will also be verticalized companies, you know, like like yourselves and like other um, downstream players that are focused on a market that are providing end to end. And you've made it so easy for them that they don't have to think twice about why they they need to go and do something else, because if you know, companies like yourself have done the work of talking to the enough customers and understood how the, you know, integration would work and you offer your, you know, solution in all platforms possible. So they don't even have to, you know, do any change, right? Like you, you have integration with SAP. So a company f does not even have to do a change for them. It's almost like an SAP upsell of, yeah. you know, you know, you couldn't do this before. And now we have this new feature from SAP through yeah. Liveo, white labeled. And now suddenly this company is now using Earth observation data. But, you know, maybe they're not even aware, right? Like maybe you white labeled it. So there's value in doing that, too, because the alternative is the company needs to either leverage their data science team to produce a vegetation monitoring solution and build it and or test it and, you know, basically do all the groundwork that you did but then for some use cases that needs to be done because those some use cases i think are so contextual that you cannot be a scalable company you know those those mm. use cases will only be consulting projects so you know so in some cases the company will decide to do the project themselves yeah. instead of hiring a you know geospatial company to do it but I'm sure that they will also exist because, you know, it's either, you know, like in, insourcing versus outsourcing, right? Yeah, like yeah. maybe there will yeah. be, you know, consulting solution companies, solution building companies that are specialized in some use cases uh, like Qantas, like uh, BCG, the consulting company acquired a company called Qantas, who are specialized in building uh, products for sustainability uh, reporting and monitoring. But they were not doing it in a scalable way. You know, mm. they didn't have one mm. product. They can build several products, but, you know, now they, they were basically building products for different companies and now BCG acquired it. So now BCG has that in their portfolio. So it's going to be interesting to see like horizontal versus vertical, but, you know, what the consulting roles, uh, consulting companies will also play a role because are the consulting companies going to build it for our end users? Because they can, right? Yeah. Like the Accentures and Vipro and TCS and, you know, actually a lot of them are Indian companies they can build all software for the companies and can earth observation become like that or will companies go and get into you know acquiring through liveo or you know your competitors or you know people in other companies in other markets that's yet to be seen so yeah you know, yeah. bottom line there's role for both of them yeah so basically um 
large corporates uh, who want to have a solution based on Earth observation data. If it's not a scalable um, uh, thing, they will do it internally and they should do it internally to, yeah. to own it. If it's scalable, there's room also for companies such as LiveView to grow and scale and just build a better yeah. solution. Especially right? if you're targeting the right use case, right? Like yeah. because at the end of the day, because I'm doing these things, it comes down to it, it comes down to numbers, yeah. right? Like what is the cost, like the cost benefit analysis, like the ROI? But also what we have to also understand is not every company will go ahead and do it. Mm. Some will just try it and maybe implement it in one area, maybe not everywhere. So, you know, it's not it's not going to be very straightforward. Mm. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say, because for some, the value is going to be incrementally proven. It's not going to be direct. You yeah. know, it's going to happen over a period of 10 years as opposed to one year, because, of course, remote sensing is useful, but maybe they they don't have a mechanism to know what is it actually doing for me in terms of numbers like the quantified benefits so using a solution from earth observation how many hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars is it saving for me it's not very clear so maybe they'll start with one use case or one part of the business unit and they will progress okay. incrementally over 10 years so which is fine Be meaning that over the course of 10 years They will attempt different things. They will acquire from LiveVO. They will try to build it themselves. Mm. But then over a period of time, I think the ROI will become clear. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a question of, is the same as, you know, trying to build a cloud server or, <laughs> you know, not using AWS or Amazon. I think it's going to be the same. That's why I also believe in this hypothesis of advisory service layer is because, you know, you people did not adopt cloud Uh, as soon as AWS was available, or Salesforce, or SAP, yeah, or any yeah. any of these large or these innovative technologies, because they wanted a level of you know incremental adoption, a roadmap, uh, you know, boring stuff that yeah. the industry is probably not Gives meant to comfort. do. Yeah. yeah, because the industry is not meant to do that, right? Like you have your solution, you have your technology, but then you cannot run these ROI analysis. I'm sure you can, but you know, is that something you want to do? Right? Yeah. Like you want to do the opportunity cost assessment? Yeah. Do you want to do the communication and all that, right? Like that's where <laughs> those companies will come in. Yeah, well, we unfortunately don't have, have enough time uh, to discuss all the things you've brought up. I just wanted to say one thing before coming to the next topic, which is, I would say that companies like ourselves, which are hyper-specialized on building Earth observation products, um, will outcompete con even consultancies, even big consultancies, sure. just because we have seen so many unforeseen things which we have went through and which where we now can apply pattern recognition, which a consultancy which does it maybe one time or for something very specific uh, will, will, will fail. But this is a different topic. Time will tell. Well, time will tell, exactly. Uh, we're going to maybe record another podcast, let's say in a year or so, then we, <laughs> and then a year, the year after, and we can see how the industry <laughs> progresses. Sure. Um, but um, because uh, exactly we are, we are coming up to the hour, um, two final questions. Uh, one is, what resources should people look at to learn more about the Earth Observation Space? Obviously, the TerraWatch podcast and your website, but can you recommend any other resources out there uh, for people which um, start new in the industry, as you yourself have started to 
um, yeah, learning by doing, right, in the Earth observation space. Yeah, well, there are not several available, but then what I will recommend is there are a lot of the reports that are being produced that are open from either the European Commission or from companies. Companies are starting to do it, like Swiss Re produced a report. So I think from an Earth observation point of view, it's probably better to have learning that is applied to a specific domain. Well, it depends yeah. on, you know, who the audience is and what their interest is. But there's a lot of material that is starting to come from specific companies. Like there are banks, there are insurance companies, there are agriculture companies that are producing reports that you can just go onto their website and check. Either they have that in development or they will have, you know, already released it, like Swiss Re, like I mentioned, uh, Cargill uh, in the insurance, sorry, in the agriculture space. Uh, and all of these companies will do it. And I think that will be a very applied learning as opposed to just learning about the market. Learning about the yeah. market, you can get it from the usual space industry articles about who's launching satellites, what <laughs> sensors. That's I think that's boring learning because you, after a point, that's why I also write it for free. You yeah. know, I'm not selling it as a report because for me, that's information that is not applied. And for any applied information, yeah, I think the companies that are the early adopters today, I think they are either writing articles about it or they will probably be on my podcast if I'm finding the right <laughs> ones and interesting ones because they, they have very interesting takes and strategies that people need to listen to because the usual space industry stuff that we see in yeah the space reports uh, that I think the industry is already yeah. already knows that's good enough for fundamental learning but I yeah. think the more interesting ones are from the and do you have a follow-up question? No, I just want to say that you just show them how complex this ecosystem yeah. is so that they don't underestimate uh, the effort and the cost. Uh, yeah. I, I see this very often when they start, oh, well, let's build a satellite-based solution with a uh, uh, master uh, thesis student, for example. I really have seen this <laughs> yeah. not, not only once. But the master thesis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe one question before we end, because you've mentioned your podcast and we are here on a podcast. Um, and we started to ask our podcast guests who should be our next podcast guest. So, who do you think should we have on the New Space Vision podcast? Hmm, interesting. I think... If if you want to ask the hard questions, I think it, what you're missing is a, is conversations with with similar type of companies. Um, you know, it can be you can choose a sensor or you can you know use my stack to have like people from the same to just see how the, asking the same question to them. It's something that I wanted to do, but you know I've never gotten the time. Ask the same question to them and see how they respond. It can be do like- Do you have a name? Like I don't know, it can, be like, it can be like the Up42 and Skywatch, or it can be the, uh, Descartes Labs does not exist, but Descartes Lab and Google Earth Engine. You yeah. know, like people who are trying to f solve the same problem, but, and, but ask the same questions to them. But do you have one person which we should have on the podcast? One person? Hmm. Who's the first one who pops in your head? Uh, I think you should have uh, the CSO of Tomorrow.io, where I worked. Excellent. Good. Then we're going to do that. Ray Goffer. We try to get him on the, on yeah. the show. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, thanks, uh, Arav. And then I, I think um, for, for even more information about what we talked today, you can uh, also listen in to Arav's podcast, as we mentioned multiple times. Really, really great piece. I can recommend an episode with Life Yo. Just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, Arav. And for the listeners, uh, please uh, don't forget to follow us um, uh, on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. TikTok and uh, like all the social media, uh, because then you will know about the next podcast coming up. Uh, so thanks a lot, Arvind. Thank, Thank you very much. much.
Liftoff. We have a liftoff.